Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in for week three of our Mark series. I hope that you've been enjoying being part of a lift group, being able to discuss all that we've been talking about as well. Um, I know that I really enjoy, even though I'm the one presenting this series, um, being part of a lift group, hearing about different people's perspectives and interacting with the content, as well as, I guess, getting some fellowship in as well in this season of church life. And so I hope that you've got a lift group. We've all uh, we started all of our groups this uh, last week and um, I'm hearing that they're going really great. Uh, but here we are in week three of our Mark series. And um, so far, you know, I, I wish that we could cover a, a few more verses so that it can feel like we're progressing through the book. Uh, but today we're only going to be looking at about five verses. Mark chapter 1 verses 9 to 14. And we're going to be breaking it down into three different portions and going through what Mark was writing and, and really diving into these passages because there's some real gold for us here uh, this week. So I'm going to just start by reading uh, from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, and it says this. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, with you, I am well pleased. And this is actually a really important passage in terms of theology. This is one of those moments uh, in the Bible where we see the Trinity appearing in the same account. As Christians, we believe that our God exists in what we have termed the Trinity. The Trinity is not something that is found in the Bible as a term. Uh, but as we read the Bible, we see, especially in Israel's scriptures in the Old Testament, we read God saying that, Hear Israel, the Lord your God is one. There is only one God, and we as Christians only worship one God. In, in, in another way of talking about this, we are monotheists, monotheist, one God. We believe in one God, yet at the same time in the Bible, there is references to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three are God. And so, therefore, theologians came up with this term, the Trinity. We believe that we have one God in three persons, not three separate people that go about doing separate things. One God in three persons. And the technical term is that they are of the same substance. The Greek, uh, as our uh, 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 church forefathers called it, uh, uh, as they term it, is that God is homoousius, of one substance. So our God is of one substance, yet he reveals himself to us in three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Yet God doesn't just go about morphing into these different characters and relating to us as these different characters at different times. Because as we can see in Mark chapter 1 verse 9, as Jesus is being baptized, Jesus is God the Son. And we see the dove descending, uh, the Spirit descending like a dove, I should say, and, and, and the Spirit is God, is referred to, the Holy Spirit is referred to as God as well. And then finally, we hear God the Father saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all appearing at the same time in the same account. All three exist, all three are one. And I know that this can be complicated. And to some extent, I put forward that when it comes to understanding and knowing God, there is a limit to what we as human beings can fully comprehend. And there are some mysteries that will remain mysteries to the end of this current age. And it's better for God to explain how things work maybe in the coming age. Um, but the importance is that this is how God has revealed himself to us. He doesn't want us worshipping God the Father more than God the Son or God the Spirit or any one of the Trinity. It is one God. But yet, for us to understand this God, we understand that there are these three persons and that's how He has revealed Himself. As we grow deeper in our understanding of each and every single part of the Trinity, we deepen our understanding of God. That is something that we need to understand in our Christian faith. It's not just relating to God the Holy Spirit. It's not just relating to God the Son. It's not just relating to God the Father. It's relating to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, at some point, we would love to put on a workshop for us to dive deeper into the theology of the Trinity. Um, as it's such a big concept, and there's just so much that... Um, that we, we, we can't cover in this um, message today. Another thing I want to point out in this Mark passage that we have just read is that Jesus himself was water baptized. Jesus was without sin, and yet he still chose to get water baptized. In other Gospels, Jesus is quoted as saying that he was baptized in order uh, to fulfill all righteousness. And personally, as I studied this, as I did my research, I believe that Jesus got baptized as a bit of a model, as a bit of a symbol for us today. If Jesus believed and chose to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness, why do we hold back from being baptized ourselves? This is something that is really important, that Jesus would ask us, command us, to be baptized as well as believers. Now remember as well that I spoke about how baptism in a cultural understanding was that um, uh, people would get baptized in order to show that their life would never be the same again. That there was this shift that happened uh, pre-baptism to post-baptism. I believe that to some extent Jesus was also symbolizing that his life was going to be different from this point on. And from this point on, after his baptism, that is where Jesus launches what we call his public ministry. What Jesus did beforehand, very limited accounts of, of what he did in the, in the 30 years of his life up to this point. But from this point on, we have lots of stories, accounts of what Jesus did and said. It, it, it marked a shift from a more private life to, to a very public ministry. And that is something about baptism that we need to latch on to. As, as Christians today, that when we get baptized, we are symbolizing that our lives aren't going to be the same. Consider this, after baptism, how is your life 
going to look different? What are the choices that you are make uh, or going to make or are making today that should look different to your life pre-baptism? That is a very important question. Now for Jesus, something that took place as he went through the waters of baptism was that he also had what we would today call a Holy Spirit baptism. See, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. It says that the heaven was torn open. There was this ripping open of heaven so that the Holy Spirit could uh, descend onto Jesus. I, I believe that these symbolisms are very important. You see, when Jesus died, resurrected and ascended to heaven, he explained that he was going back to the Father, but something better was going to happen because the Holy Spirit would be given to all believers, would be poured out over all believers. And we hear that and we read about that in the book of Acts. But in this moment, there was this special releasing of the Holy Spirit onto Jesus in the form of what looked like a dove. And it says that a dove descended on Jesus. Now, uh, it is a difficult word uh, um, to, to translate. And the word that we read as on can also be translated as in. The Spirit descended into Jesus. And that's a picture of the baptism of the, in the Holy Spirit that we too can receive today. And we'll probably talk about this a lot more as we go on. But this is important for us to remember as Christians. If you want to know what your life is meant to look like when you have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, look no further than Jesus. I remember this teaching and it impacted my life. So often we, we hear people talking about being spirit led and all the different spiritual this, spiritual that. And, and, and sometimes it is code for saying, I just want to do how I feel. Jesus is the original spirit led life, is a model for us to see what being spirit led looks like. And, and so, uh, this is a, a, a type for us to learn from. Let's, let's make sure that we hold us in mind as we continue to look at Jesus' life, the things that he says and the things that he does. And remember that this is a type of spirit-led life that we are able to access and we are meant to be living out too. And, um, and, and, and so, so hold that in mind uh, for yourself as well. So what happens now that Jesus has been baptized both in water and the Holy Spirit? Let's continue on in verse 12. At once, the Spirit sent him out to the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Hold on. Wait a second. I just said that this is the Spirit-led life. And what does the Spirit-led life look like? For Jesus, it looked like being sent out into the wilderness, the desert, for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. The Spirit did this. And you just said that all believers should receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes. 
But you have to ask yourself, if it means suffering, do I really want this? Jesus himself says later on, and we need to remember this, that, that we need to count the cost of following Jesus. And so let's, 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 remember, let, let's consider what this spirit-led life looks like. Now I want to bring up a point as well. Some theologians bring up Hebrews 4 verse 15, uh, which says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So some theologians believe that most, if not all of these temptations that were recorded, uh, that, that the, he, the author of Hebrews talked about, happened during these 40 days as Jesus was in the wilderness. The wilderness season, as some like to call it. So Jesus, led by the Spirit, led by God, is in the wilderness, the desert. Now, Beck and I, when we were in Israel, we got to get a little bit of a look-see around the more wildernessy, desert-type areas. It literally is a desert. It's hot. It's sand. There is no shade. There is no water. It is a, a, a desert. Jesus had no food, no water for 40 days. And to top it off, he had the worst company ever, Satan himself. Tempting him in multiple ways. Torturing, really. And how did this situation come about? Well, it was Jesus who was spirit-led who somehow willingly entered into this situation. I want to put something forth that is really important. Being spirit-led is not about doing miracles. It's not about not getting anything wrong. Uh, it's not about fancy stuff. It's not about feelings. Being spirit-led is really about obedience and trust. It's obedience to God, whatever He is saying, and trusting that He is leading you in ways that are good, even if we can't understand it or see it for ourselves in the moment. Jesus knew that the Spirit would lead him into places that might test him, might stretch him, but ultimately lead him to a stronger place. It says right at the end that the angels tended to him. Jesus passed the test, so to speak. And, and, and what would our lives look like if we were willing to be tested in wilderness seasons in our life? Christianity is not for the faint of heart. And if you're in a place where you're feeling darkness and desperation cover you, surround you for extended periods of time, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that you have failed God. It doesn't mean that He has left you. It doesn't mean that your relationship with Him has been a sham because He's not here in this darkest of seasons. Quite often the Spirit and the presence of God is with you and you might not even know it because of the circumstances. And that is where obedience and trust really kicks in. Maybe the situation and the season that you are in is exactly where God wants you to be because He is stretching and growing you right now. Beck and I have a as a wonderful six month old, and right now he is learning how to crawl. And, and and we just know that when he begins to crawl, it opens up so many possibilities for him. He is actually going to be able to reach the toys that he wants to reach for. He's able to move to places in the house 
well really in their house right now, uh, that he wants to get to. When we have disappeared around the corner, he can actually follow. But right now, this season is a season of stretching and growing. And every time we put little Sam on his belly, he is grunting and groaning as though we are torturing him. He doesn't want to be in this position because it's uncomfortable. Uncomfortable doesn't mean wrong. Uncomfortable is uncomfortable. Let's acknowledge it. This is difficult. If you're in a season where there is this darkness, where there's this depression, acknowledge it. Fine. This is a season uh, that, uh, that I'm sensing the trend. I'm feeling really depressed and it's difficult for me. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. But we need to also remember that God is in this season. The whole point of the Spirit-led life is that when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit isn't leaving you. That is the promise of God. So the same Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness and sustained Him is the same Spirit that lives in you and I today when we accept Him into our lives. So the question that you could ask yourself is, what is God wanting to achieve in you in this current season? How are you obeying that plan? How are you trusting God through this season? I read this, um, I'm reading this book right now, and this author puts forward that sometimes the spirit-led life, and quite often the spirit-led life, takes away attractive options. Sometimes the spirit that life shows us an option that comes from God that isn't very attractive. And sometimes the spirit that life is a test to see whether you are willing to go with it or not. My prayer is that you will have the strength and the courage, but also the perspective to understand that God is with you, He's not abandoning you, and He's working in you and through you in this very season. And as we continue to read on in Mark, we have to remember that this moment is a moment before Jesus fully started his public ministry. From this moment on, we are going to be reading story after story, account after account of Jesus healing, teaching, preaching, full of authority, full of confidence. But the starting point was the wilderness season. Our starting points often isn't glamorous or nice. But don't begrudge the small days, the early days, the wilderness days, because God is still working in this season. Just want to finish off with the last couple of verses today in, in verses 14 and 15. This is um, back to Mark chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Mark here very quickly transitions from John's ministry to Jesus' ministry. Jesus is now doing public work, and he's taken on a very similar message to John. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the gospel. So why did Mark include this little fact that John had been in prison? Because that creates a sense of tension. John was so successful with his message that crowds were drawn to him in the wilderness. They came to him, they allowed himself, they chose to be baptized, so much so that he got the nickname John the Baptist. Remember that? 
And yet at the same time, his imprisonment foreshadows that the authorities did not like what John was doing. In fact, they saw it as something that needed to be stopped. And so John was imprisoned. So we are left with this question, will Jesus do any better? The message hasn't changed. So what's going to be different about this? Here's another little thing about the spirit led life. That sometimes it feels like God's asking us to do something and, and we expect the spirit that life to maybe look something different or, 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 or innovative or awesomely cool and, 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 and something that would just stir our passions. But sometimes it's like keep doing what you've been doing or what has been doing, what has been happening. Allow me to do the work and you just simply need to obey. But is Jesus going to be successful, I guess, with this message? What is going to happen? Well, you're going to need to stay tuned for next week as we continue our study in the book of Mark. Can I just pray for you as we finish off this morning? Dear God, I thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I thank you that today as we looked at uh, these verses, we, we see the, the Spirit and we see the Father coming alongside uh, you, Jesus, as you uh, did your, your earthly ministry. And God, I pray that, that we will see uh, the model and the, the type of Spirit that life that you lived, and we can see that for ourselves. God, I know that, that trusting and obeying you is not always easy. In fact, quite often it is very difficult. And I pray for the strength for us to continue to trust and obey. I pray that we don't take the Spirit-led life to be something that we want it to be, but that we place it according to what your Word says. And I pray that, that, that we will be stirred up to live that kind of life that you have called us to. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for staying, uh, uh, for, for being part of the series. Get into your live groups and discuss and continue to deepen your understanding. And I pray your love for Jesus. Thanks, everyone.